Welcome to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We do appreciate you tuning in again this week as we study the Word of God here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop. It is always a privilege for me to have an open Bible before me and another opportunity to expound a portion of the Word of God. Our church's prayer is that you're getting some help and some strength from these broadcasts, and we do hope that uh, your faith is encouraged and established and strengthened. Never forget that the Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The best thing I could do for Christians tuning in is to expound a portion of the Word of God, because that will help establish you in the faith. In fact, one of the reasons that we have so many shallow Christians who are not real sure what they need to believe is because many people spend very, very little time in the Word of God. And on this program, we want to stir up your interest in the Word of God to help create an appetite for the Word of God in you and uh, and show you that this book is anything but boring. And if you get a good working knowledge of this book and begin to study it, you will find that it is a living book that the Holy Ghost will use to establish your mind, to strengthen your mind, to renew your mind, and to help you to know what it is you're supposed to believe. The reason many Christians are blown about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, by their cunning craftiness, is because they never take the time to apply themselves to searching the Scriptures, to reading the Scriptures, becoming familiar with its terminology, with its stories, with its uh, uh, wording. And they never study the doctrines that are put forth. And you'll never be a strong Christian, and you'll never be rooted and grounded and established in the truth until you apply yourself in the Word of God. I remember when I was 27 years old, I'd been saved for some time, and I had read portions of the Word of God and had heard it preached and I could articulate to you how I had become a Christian. But at the same time, I knew very little about the Bible itself. And I remember going out and making some visits with a young man one time who was uh, much more mature in the faith than I was. And he asked me, he said, Travis, have you ever read your Bible from cover to cover? And this has been 20 years ago. I said, you know, I, I haven't. And he said, well, that's the first thing you need to do. You need to apply yourself Every day, read just a handful of chapters. He said, if you read three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday, you will get through the entire Bible in one year. And that's not too much to ask. I mean, three chapters a day, uh, you waste more time searching the Internet than it would take you to read three chapters of your, your Bible every day. I mean, uh, listen, uh, you can read your Bible if you choose to. You say, that's a big book. It's worth it. Okay, it's the words of eternal life. Uh, where else are you going to learn the mind of God? God has revealed himself through a book. He has written his words down. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And I believe that we have the inspired scriptures available to us in English today. I'm reading, going to be reading from that inspired book here in just a few moments. You need to get familiar with the Bible and learn the doctrines of the Bible that your faith might rest not on uh, Christian cliches, not on religious tradition, but rather on the eternal words and the eternal truth of God found in the Bible. Thank God for the Bible. We need to have a revival of Bible reading. Uh, it will strengthen you. It will speak to you. It will transform you and help conform you to the image of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we're thankful for another opportunity. This week, let's go ahead and get into some Bible. Turn in the Scriptures to Acts, the book of Acts, the 11th chapter. Acts chapter 11 and as uh, you know from a recent uh, study we did here, a great revival <clears throat> broke out in the city of Antioch. Some unnamed men 
from Cyprus and Cyrene simply went down preaching the Lord Jesus to the Gentiles that inhabited that city. And we read where that the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. And of course, when the church in Jerusalem heard about this great move of God and this, this multitude, this great number that had believed and turned unto the Lord Jesus Christ there in the Gentile city of Antioch, they sent old trusty and trusted Barnabas down to the city to inspect what was going on, to put his eyes on what they had come to the ears of the church. And so we found out that when he came, we found out what he observed, and we found out what his exhortation was. But then in verse 25, the Bible tells us this. I'm in Acts 11, verse 25. Look at it with me, if you will. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. So old Barnabas remembered his buddy Saul of Tarsus, who had been saved back there in Acts chapter 9. And if you recall, Barnabas and Saul were pretty close. Barnabas, a member there at the church in Jerusalem, just a son of consolation, a great encouragement to his church family, stepped up and went to bat for Saul of Tarsus when everyone at Jerusalem was nervous about accepting him into the membership. If you recall there in the middle of Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus essayed to join himself unto them. He wanted to get with some believers, which is the natural uh, first thing that happens after you get born again. And the church in Jerusalem said, man, this is the guy that's killing everybody, that's holding the coats of those that killed our buddy Stephen. He's arresting people. He's got permission there from the head of the, the Jewish council to come after these people that have believed on the Lord. So they were nervous. And who can blame them? But old Barnabas said, no, this man's a changed man. I heard him preach the faith he once destroyed, and we need to embrace him as a fellow believer because that's what he is. Well, undoubtedly, Barnabas knew that Saul of Tarsus uh, was called specifically. He had a ministry uh, that was going to take him specifically to Gentile believers. That's what Jesus Christ had told him in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. And undoubtedly, Barnabas knew about this. And so Barnabas thought, you know something? I can go get my friend Saul, who's down there in Tarsus, and I can bring him up here because these are the people that God has called him specifically to. So the Bible tells us in verse 25 that uh, Barnabas departed to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Now watch it. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. And that's what, listen, uh, believers do. Believers are the body of Christ. I don't doubt that. The body is called the church, uh, okay, in general. But nevertheless, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you will want to be assembling yourselves with other members of the body in a location. And that's what they're doing here. They assembled themselves with the church there in Antioch. They gathered themselves together. And the Bible says they taught much people. And now notice this. This is what I want to uh, preach about and teach about a little bit today. Notice the last statement of verse 26. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, that's instructive. They did not name themselves Christians. They did not call themselves Christians. They were called Christians first, the disciples were, in the city of Antioch. In other words, the people who were observing them, this Gentile church, this new thing is being organized. Up to this time, the believers, are you listening? The believers in Jerusalem and around Samaria are gathering together in homes, but they're also meeting in synagogues and in the temple in Jerusalem. 
But now they're gathering themselves together, not as Jews. This is not an extension of Judaism. Nobody could look and say, hey, oh, that's just that Jewish religion and those are proselytes to Judaism. No, sir. This is something entirely new. Here are some Gentiles who had no connection to Judaism in Jerusalem. They had no synagogue they had been attending, and yet they had believed the simple preaching of the Lord Jesus And they had gathered themselves together and were assembling themselves on a regular basis, being taught by Saul of Tarsus and Barnabas for over a year, and were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this city, the people who are observing them and noticing the difference in their lives, they're saying, hey, these are the people, or these Gentile people, they say they've believed on Jesus Christ, and they're following him. (laughs) Look at these little Christs run around. Look at these Christians. It was almost done in a derisive manner, in a derogatory manner, uh, in a, in a uh, mocking manner. They called them, they began calling them Christians for the first time in Antioch. And what they meant in mockery uh, actually was almost the heart of the matter. In other words, people were not offended. These disciples were not offended at being called Christians or followers of Jesus Christ. Little Christs, if you will. They weren't offended because it really got to the heart of the matter. Because, friend, that's exactly what uh, we are. As disciples of Christ, we really are supposed to be little uh, versions of our Savior, if you will. In other words, we are followers of him that loved us and bought us and purchased us with his own blood and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we begin following him as faithful disciples And the world back 2,000 years ago in the pagan city of Antioch said, look at the Christians, look at those Christians over there. And the name has stuck. And for the last 2,000 years, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ have gladly embraced the name of Christian. Now, the problem is this day that the word Christian, after 2,000 years of it, it being put in use, has also, not only has it been used, but now it's often abused. And oftentimes, especially here in America, the title Christian is attached to a lot of things that are anything but Christian. For instance, Sean Hannity, the conservative talk show host, says he's a Christian. But my friend, I've never heard a testimony of saving faith from him in Jesus Christ. Now, he's told me about what church he attends. He often talks about conservatism, and I'm all for that. He talks about his patriotism, and I'm all for that. And he will tell us that he is not an atheist. He believes in God, and that's wonderful. But none of those things make you a Christian. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that he professes to be a member of a church. That's fine, but becoming a, going to a church or being a member of a church does not make you a Christian. Listen, uh, being a Baptist doesn't mean that I'm a Christian. I know people who have not become Christians, but yet have joined Baptist churches. Going into a church building uh, does not make you a Christian any more than walking into my garage would make me a car or a truck. No, that's not what makes you a Christian. Being a churchgoer does not mean you're a Christian. Now, Christians go to church. That's true. But just going to church alone will not make you a Christian. Sean Hannity says he's conservative. Well, Christians ought to have conservative values. That's good. But uh, believing conservative values, being against abortion and against uh, a homosexual marriage, that may be good conservative morals, but that does not make you a Christian. 
Being a patriot, that's a good thing. Most Christians I know are great patriots. But loving your country and being willing to die for your country does not make you a Christian. Sean Hannity tells us on his radio program that he believes in God. Well, that's wonderful that you're not an atheist. That just means you're not a fool because it's the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. I'm glad uh, that for anybody that recognizes that there is a divine uh, being that sits in the heavens. In fact, the Bible says, thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. But it says, but the devils believe also and tremble. In other words, believing in God only means that you're smart as a devil because the devils believe in God, but they tremble. Listen, all of those things are good things. Believing in the golden rule. I believe I've heard Sean Hannity mention that. And listen, I'm not bashing Hannity. I'm just pointing out how far the title Christian has been stretched. It's been stretched way out of its biblical proportions. He talks about believing in the golden rule. Well, that's good. The golden rule uh, is do unto others. Basically, it says do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Well, that's a good principle to go by. But believing that principle and even trying to practice, I said trying to practice that principle. You don't do it perfectly all the time. But trying to practice the principle of the golden rule is good. But none of these things make you a Christian. The most obvious uh, answer, the, the regular, normal answer I get from people who you ask, are you saved? Are you a Christian? They'll say, well, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. And let me just quick, be quick to point out that being baptized does not make you a Christian. Baptism is what a new Christian will do to tell the world he's become a Christian. But just being baptized in and of itself for the reason of, well, I want to do this because it seems like the right thing to do. My friend, that doesn't make you a Christian. I remember the first year I was in the ministry and a, and a situation arose at the close of a service and I'd never pastored a church. It was my first few months in pastoring and I was so green. If you'd have planted me, I would have grown. And the song leader came around the corner and said, Hey, you got somebody to baptize today. I said, what? There's an invitation. People are down front. People are praying after I had preached. And I'm thinking, I, I said, nobody told me that someone needed to be baptized today. I said, I don't even know who it is. He said, well, they got them ready back there. And I remember going uh, back to the baptistry, and I, I was nervous because I'm thinking, this ain't right. I don't know who it is I'm about to be introduced to. I don't know what's going on. So I went down into the water of the baptistry, and a young girl was helped down into the baptistry, and they're singing by this time. And I asked her, I said, uh, why do you want to be baptized? And she says, I, I think it's a good thing to do. And I said, well, it is a good thing to do, providing that you have been born again. I said, are you born again? She says, I don't think so. I said, have you been saved? And she says, no. But she says, I want to do this. And I looked at her, and I can't remember all of what happened, but I did tell her this. I said, I cannot baptize you today. I said, now you've not done anything wrong. We're not, you're not in trouble, but I said, I'm going to help you up out of the baptistry and we will talk about this another time. And I did the right thing, friend. It was uncomfortable to do. I just, you say, what'd you do? I turned around and called on a man to close us in prayer, but I am not going to baptize someone who does not understand why they are being baptized because many people think their baptism, whether it was by immersion or by what they call baptism by sprinkling, which is not really baptism, but that's a study for another day. Nevertheless, what people call baptism, just being in submission to that does not make you a Christian. So what I want to show you today is two things 
that will show you what a real Christian is according to the Bible, not according to the world. Believing in God doesn't mean you're a Christian. Being a member of a church doesn't make you a Christian. Getting baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Following the golden rule doesn't make you a Christian. They were first called Christians, the disciples were, in Antioch. So you say, preacher, what is a Christian then? I'm glad you asked. Let us turn to our source our, our of final authority, our Bible. Let us look at the truth of the word of God and let God tell us what a Christian is. Notice in verse 26 when it says the disciples. Well, who are these disciples we're talking about? Well, they are the people from verse 21. Look back in your Bible, Acts 11, verse 21. First of all, these disciples that were called Christians had become disciples in verse 21. What did it say? Well, when the men, the unnamed men from Cyprus and Cyrene came into Antioch preaching the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us in verse 21 that the hand of the Lord was with them, those that were doing the preaching. And look at what happened. A great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, I love verse 21, and I'll tell you for why. It describes for you what true belief is that brings salvation. These people who believed the preaching of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says they turned unto the Lord. Now, that wasn't two separate acts. That's what believing on the Lord is. It's you turning to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. They turned unto the Lord. And listen, uh, they turned to him, believing upon him, and they were saved. Do you know what brings a man into the right relationship with his creator? It's when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Philippian jailer came crashing into Paul's jail cell at midnight. And you know the story. He came in, he would have killed himself. And Paul said, do thyself no harm, we are all here. And the man came in, he called for a light. He, he, the Philippian jailer came in trembling. And he, he got on his knees in front of Paul. He was a broken man with a repentant heart. And he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And my friend, if you did not have a simple fifth grade reading level Bible, you would never believe what the answer to that question is. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. It is that simple. Now, the next stumbling block is what it means to believe. Well, it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe the gospel? It means you will trust him to the saving of your soul. The Bible defines that in Ephesians chapter 1 when it says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. Did you get that? It says, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that to believe the gospel is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ with your soul. To commit yourself to him. To quote as Acts 11.21 says. To believe on him. To turn unto him. And these men and women and all of these that had believed. Are following on to know the Lord. That is just one of the. Uh, after a man gets saved by grace through faith. If he is saved he will want to get to know his Lord. And so a year later these men who believed. Are listening and learning at the, at the feet of Barnabas and Saul here in Antioch. 
And because they were learning more and more of this Savior they had trusted, they were called disciples. But they were not disciples until they had first believed the gospel. A Christian is one who has embraced the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and has believed upon him. Have you done that? Have you received the Lord Jesus? Now listen, that is what is required. Do you remember... Somebody says, well, you were, you were talking bad about baptism. No, I was not talking bad about baptism. I've baptized many a convert in my day. And we'll hopefully, with the help of the Lord, by the hand of the Lord, we'll do so uh, in the future. We just recently had a baptism, an outdoor baptism up in Harrodsburg, where I baptized eight people. But all eight people were able to give a personal testimony to having believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is biblical. Uh, the baptism follows belief, and belief brings salvation, and a man is justified by faith. Remember Romans 5.1 says, therefore being justified by faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus Christ. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Ethiopian eunuch act, asked Philip, what doth hinder me to be baptized? There was one thing that stood between him and the baptistry waters. The waters of baptism were, were open to him if he did one thing. You say, what was that? He says, if thou believest with all thine heart. Remember what Romans 10, 9 says, it's with the heart that man believeth unto righteousness. So the first thing I can tell you about a Christian is that they are a saved sinner that has believed on Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. It's saved people that can be honestly called Christians. And not just saved people, but those who have made themselves disciples. Because notice back in our text of Acts eleven twenty six that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, they became uh, believers back in verse 21, and they had become disciples. Because, listen, belief brings salvation, and submission to the Lord brings you into the realm of discipleship. These disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And listen, Jesus Christ said this about discipleship. There was a great multitude back there in, in Luke chapter 14 that went with him and followed after him. And he turned unto them and said to them, listen, Acts 4, I'm sorry, Luke 14, 26, Jesus Christ speaking to some uh, large crowds that had been following him. He said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says in verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Listen, these men in Acts 11 that were called Christians, first of all, they had believed, therefore they were saved. But they had gone past that, if you will. And I don't mean you can go past your salvation. I just mean that they had taken the next step and were learning about their Lord and changing. Their life was changing. They had become disciples. And they were called Christians. The disciples were at Antioch for the first time in the history of the church. So a Christian is a saved man who has believed on Christ, but he's even more than a saved man. He's a, a man who has submitted himself to the lordship of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, he is now a follower of the Lord. He's a, dis, a disciple, a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says of true disciples that they will love him 
and hate their father, their mother, their wife, their children. Now, let me just say something right here. A lot of people get hung up on that subject where Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate mother, father, children, wife. Listen, you got to understand something. You need to quit putting your own definitions over top of biblical words. And because you have defined the word hate according to how you understand it, you have become confused. Jesus Christ is not telling his followers, those that would be disciples of his, he is not telling them that they must mistreat their family or their loved ones. That's not what he's talking about when he mentions the word hate. You say, well, what's he talking about? Well, we got to get our definitions from the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 29, we find that God looked down and saw Jacob married to Leah and Rebekah. And what do we find out about it? We find out that Jacob wasn't so thrilled with Leah. He loved her less than he loved Rebekah. I'm sorry, Rachel, excuse me. And so what did he do? Well, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And so that just simply means his love for Rachel was more intense than it was for Leah. It does not mean that he mistreated Leah. Why, goodness, he had six children with her. So he had uh, physical contact with her. He was around her. There was some love there. It wasn't that he was mistreating her. He didn't hate her in the sense that he never spoke to her or never had any intimate time with her. Leah gave him six children. So it's not about mistreating someone. But the Bible says in Genesis 29, verse 30, that he loved also Rachel more than Leah. Now, verse 31, here's your definition, Bible student. Genesis 29, 31 says, when the Lord saw that Leah was, quote, hated, God saw Jacob's love for Rachel, and he saw that Rachel, I'm sorry, Leah was loved less he called that hatred. Do you know what Jesus Christ is calling upon his disciples to do? The ones that were called Christians first were not only saved, but they were disciples in the fact that they were submitted to Jesus Christ's lordship and his leadership. And he obviously, according to the definition of disciple in Luke 14, 26 and 27, they love the Lord more than they love their own family. That's what hatred is in the biblical sense. He's not telling you Jesus Christ would never tell you to mistreat your wife, your father, your mother. In fact, the law says we're to honor our father and our mother. But nevertheless, here's the problem. Here's the rub. Here's where it gets difficult. We do love our families. Everybody knows that. And when you become a Christian, you get saved. Many times the will of God for your life is not the will that you're of your family. And you will have to love Jesus Christ more than you love your family's own will. And when they say, no, no, we don't want you going to do that. You don't need to give that up. You have to say, well, I love the Lord more than I love you. And Jesus says, that's, hey, that's what it is to hate your family. It's to love him more than you love their wishes and their wills. And so here's the deal. When that begins to happen and you begin to make decisions that are contrary to the wishes of your own family... It's going to cause you to face some suffering and some persecution among your own loved ones. And a real Christian, here is the definition. The Bible says, as a Christian, according to 1 Peter chapter 4, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God on this behalf. There's the third use of the word Christian. Real Christians are disciples. Real Christians became disciples because they got saved. But real disciples will suffer for righteousness's sake. And many times the first place that you suffer is right in your own family community, in your own house. That's what a Christian is. Ultimately, it's a saved sinner. A Christian is defined in the Bible as one that has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and passed from death to life. A Christian in the Bible is one who has submitted themselves to the leadership of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they will follow his will over the will of their friends and family and wishes of their friends and family around them. Friend, when you begin to do that, you will suffer for righteousness's sake because it is a righteous thing to follow Jesus Christ even against the wishes of those who love you. And friend, it will take some real uh, grit and some real courage to follow the Lord in faith, even when it displeases those you love around you. And when you displease your family, you will have some trials and some troubles and some difficulties. And therefore, if any man, the Bible says in 1 Peter four sixteen, suffer as a Christian. Listen, that's what a Christian is. One who suffers for righteousness. Why? Because he's submitted to the leadership of Jesus Christ and because he was saved by the grace of God when he believed on Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is the definition, a threefold definition of what a true Bible Christian is. May God help you to understand and may you have a successful and victorious Christian life.